Good morning once again. Can I uh, have you uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 3. And uh, for the last few weeks, as we've been studying the Gospel of John here at Calvary on Sunday morning, we've been for the last few weeks in John 3. And in particular, the first 21 verses, which many have called one of the greatest sections in the Bible. Why? Well, because Jesus corrects a misconception that 90% of the people on this planet are harboring under, and that is that to go to heaven you have to be good, whatever that means, it differs in various groups, uh, and you have to do good. In other words, go to church, temple, synagogue, be in good standing when it comes to whatever ceremonies, rituals, and rules uh, their particular religion requires for them to obey to get into heaven. You've got to do all that, and uh, then you can get there. But uh, the Lord Jesus shatters that notion by telling a very religious man named Nicodemus that his religious works will not, in fact, cannot save him, get him into heaven. And then he proceeds to explain to him the uh, only way a person can, can get into heaven. And, of course, it applies. We, we've said this in the past. We could... Uh, look at this in a kind of a more of a allegorical way, not with a real conversation, but uh, where God is having a conversation with mankind in general, telling people, look, I know you think that to get to heaven you have to be good, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should be bad. I'm just saying that good works, religious rituals, deeds, ceremonies, keeping all that, those things will not get a person into heaven. Jesus said to this very religious man, Nicodemus, no man ever ascended to heaven by their good works. But the Son of Man has come down, all right, has come down. And um, I've divided this section, these first 21 verses of John 3, this way. The confused seeker, <laughs> you must be born again. I'm an old man. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? All right, we talked about that. Uh, next, the condescending Savior. Condescending means he came down. To where we are we couldn't ascend up to where he is so he came down to meet us on the earth and then finally this morning we'll look at that third main point the condemned sinner now as we pointed out numerous times the first part of john 3 is built around two great must statements these must statements are found first of all in verse 7 where jesus said do not marvel that i said to you you must be born again how can I get into the kingdom of God? Nicodemus asked. Jesus said, you must be born again. We'll call that the must of the sinner. I want you to notice how definitive the Lord was when he made this statement about what it takes to get into God's kingdom. I mean, he didn't leave any room for ambiguity. He was clear, definitive, and unapologetic when he said that a person to be saved, they must be born again. And of course, as we've already looked at that, that happens when a person... Uh, receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, of course, believing who He is and what He has done for them. And when they receive Him as their Lord and Savior, they are born again or born of the Spirit. And um, that is how they enter into heaven. It's all by faith. We'll talk about that. But uh, being born again wouldn't have been possible if Jesus hadn't died on the cross for our sins. Hence, the second must statement found in verse 14 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, listen, must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about the cross, of course. And we'll call that the must of the Savior. 
If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, we couldn't have been born again. We would have died in our sins. And together, guys, they lead up to and climax in the single greatest message of love and hope ever given to mankind, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish in hell but have everlasting life. Now, again, this morning we want to finish our outline, and the third main point is the condemned sinner. Now, let me just say this as we set this up. One of the biggest misconceptions I run into, and, and please hear me out this morning. Some, I see some new faces, okay? Uh, some of the things I'm going to say are going to seem so radical. Guard your brain from getting shut off. You know how that goes. We hear something that sounds so crazy. This guy's nuts. Click. Uh, the brain goes off, and I'm not hearing anything else, okay? Uh, fight the urge to do that when I make some outrageous statements, and I'll back them up. I'll tell you what I'm, where I'm coming from. But one of the biggest misconceptions I run into when talking about people, uh, when talking to people about uh, going to heaven, is yes, first of all, that uh, they believe that heaven is for good people. Number two, though, they also believe that they themselves are basically uh, good, and therefore God will accept them into heaven someday. So that's that's the, the, the two biggest misconceptions: heaven is for good people. And most people believe that they are good people, therefore they are going to be accepted into heaven someday. Now, of course, this coincides, this concept coincides with what the Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, that most people proclaim their own goodness. Most people proclaim their own goodness. Or in other words, most people believe that they're basically good people and therefore heaven bound. The problem is that most people define goodness from earth's perspective and not from heaven's perspective most people come to the conclusion that they are good people and therefore worthy of heaven how by looking around and uh, at everyone else comparing themselves to people of course uh, you know they can always find rapists thieves murderers and assorted other miscreants and malcontents that they can compare themselves to uh, when they do they come across looking like mother Teresa, shining virtues of uh, of worthiness to get into heaven right there's always somebody out there that is a little deeper in the mud than I am, that I can single out and go, well, not perfect, but look at this guy or this gal. I mean, I, next to them, I'm really looking good. Well, okay, that might be true. You stand next to me, you might look really great, all right, uh, and by comparison. But uh, that's, I'm not the standard, they're not the standard, okay? Jesus dealt with this issue as well and set the record straight on this topic in Matthew 19. In fact, why don't you turn there? I want to just tell you, Matthew 19 and John 3 are two critical passages when it comes to helping people understand the proper way to get into heaven. So Jesus dealt with this very issue about good people going to heaven when he talked to a man who wanted to know also how he might have eternal life, how he might get to heaven. Who was this man? Well, Matthew tells us he was both young and wealthy. Luke adds that he was also a ruler, which probably means he was a leader of a synagogue, which in that culture, Jewish society, uh, that was a very influential and honored position to hold, especially if you were a young man. It really spoke of your character that they would entrust a synagogue 
into your care, you were stellar. You were above the, the rest, basically, as a young man. So here we have a young, successful, prominent man who was also religious and moral. A man who told Jesus that he had kept the commandments of God even from the time he was a small child. I mean, guys, if anyone was a candidate for heaven based on being a good person, I think this guy would qualify. We pick it up in verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to the Lord Jesus, Good teacher, uh, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There is, there, excuse me, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Let me stop there. Jesus was saying one of two things here, all right? Either he was saying, number one, why are you calling me good? There is no one good but God, so don't call me good because I'm not God. Or he was saying, why are you calling me good? There is no one good but God. Do you recognize that I'm God? Now, of course, I vote for the second one. But if Jesus, guys, was only was one of uh, only one of many religious teachers in history, then his words carry no more weight than the teachings of Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, or anyone else. But Jesus was not like every other teacher that's come down the pike. John opens up his gospel by telling us that God sent His Son to this earth to be light, to give us truth, to light our way back to God. God incarnate, that's who Jesus is. And I want you to understand something, that believing in Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, God in human form, is essential for salvation because he himself said in John 8, 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. You'll go to hell if you don't believe that I am, that's the name of God, I am, you will die in your sins if you don't believe that I am almighty God in human form. But, but getting back to Jesus' response to this good man, quote-unquote, notice what the Lord tells him, which, guys, is critical to our understanding of this topic of good people going to heaven. Jesus said to him that no one is good but God. Notice Jesus didn't say that no one is as good as God. Now, we would all say, well, of course, I'm not as good as God, but I'm pretty good. And I think I'm worthy of heaven. He didn't say that. He said no one is good but God. You see, the Bible defines goodness as moral perfection. A lot of people don't realize that, right? We're so busy comparing ourselves to one another that there's always somebody that I can stand next to and feel a lot better about myself because I'm this person's really messed up, right? But the Bible defines goodness as moral perfection, and only God is morally perfect. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, witnessing to them, and they will say things like this to me when we talk about getting into heaven. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but I, I still think I'm good enough to get into heaven. But see, God is telling us in his word that if you're not perfect, you're not good enough. Now, when people realize, or when I teach, that um, the Bible teaches that to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. That's when they usually turn, click, turn the brain off because I'm nuts. I mean, then who can get to heaven? Well, that's exactly what you can continue reading on your own, Matthew 19. 
That's exactly what the disciples said to Jesus. Um, how can anyone get to heaven uh, if they have to be perfect? And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. You can't, you can't get to heaven by your good works. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But I just want to, first of all, focus for just a moment longer how that God is telling us in his word that to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. No one is perfect. Um, we know that the Bible teaches that. If you don't already know it, it's very clear in the scriptures. Uh, you don't have to turn to these. You can write the reference down and look it up later. But in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, Paul the apostle said, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody's righteous. Righteousness, the righteousness of God, perfection, is required to get into heaven. No one is righteous, not one. Verse 12, there is none who does good, not one. Now, now look, of course, we can do good on this earth compared to others and so on. But when it, we talk about what God accepts, um, you know, it has to be done from a perfect heart, sinless heart. And uh, anything that's not done out of a sinless heart uh, is not accepted by God. Church, candles, uh, praying the rosary. I grew up in Roman Catholic Church. I mean, I know all that, right, and did all that. And it wasn't until I started reading the Bible that I realized that God doesn't accept any of it for heaven, uh, none of it. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall, and fall short of God's glory. God's glory is sinless perfection. Everybody in this world has sinned. Well, we, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. We're all sinners. But one sin on your soul your entire life will keep you out of heaven. That's why he went on to say in Romans 6, and the wages of sin is death. And he's talking about the lake of fire, hell. The second death, eternal death. Guys, therefore... Many people, not the least of which Rabbi Harold Kushner, who wrote a best-selling runaway book years ago called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, it was a tremendous bestseller because he really uh, touched on something that people have been wondering about for centuries. I'm a good person. Why do bad things happen to me? Well, we realize that we studied the scriptures, and Rabbi Kushner obviously didn't study the New Testament because that book is built on a faulty premise that there are good people in the world for bad things to happen to. C.S. Lewis said, we're not just imperfect people who need growth, we're rebels who need to lay down our arms. We're fighting against God. Listen, guys, this world is not full of good people that God is treating badly. It's full of bad people that God is treating kindly. That's what the Bible teaches and look, let me just say this, to kind of balance this out. As we've already mentioned, relative to other human beings, some people are obviously better behaved than others. But that doesn't make them good in God's eyes, morally perfect, of course, as Jesus is the only human being uh, who has ever been a good in the sense that he's morally perfect, again, because he's God. The Bible says that in the beginning, God did make man good. Remember, each day of creation, God says, it is good. It is good. It is good. On the sixth day when God created man, he also said, it is good. And originally, God made man perfect in the Garden of Eden. 
But when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the, 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 the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God forbid, they didn't obey God. They, they ate from that tree. And the Bible says at that instant they fell. What does that mean? They fell. Well, they fell from moral perfection and became fallen sinners. And because God cannot have fellowship with sin, their fellowship with God was broken. They were separated from God. All right? And the idea was God is the source of life. God is the source of blessing. And when you are severed from God, all of that gets severed. And the human race is born into this world as fallen sinners. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, and as such, from that point to this very day, as I just said, every person born into the world is born of Adam, a descendant of Adam, and a sinner. And uh, God has already pronounced all the descendants of Adam. Everybody born into this world, they are under the curse. And they are condemned to spend eternity in hell. Now listen, most people like to comfort themselves. So they don't really know the Bible. But they like to comfort themselves with the knowledge that God is love. And surely a God of love won't send anyone to hell except the worst people in the world. Like ISIS, terrorists, you know, uh, murderers and that kind of thing. God's love is going to save me. God's love will, will keep me from, from hell. Let me just say this to you. In Mark's gospel, you don't have to turn there, Mark records something about this incident that the other gospel writers don't record. It tells us that when this sincere seeker came to Jesus, totally sincere, totally looking to find out how he could have eternal life, go to heaven, all right? And Jesus began to engage him in this conversation. You can read the whole thing on your own. At one point, Jesus looked at him, and Mark records 1021, Mark 1021, Jesus looked at him and loved him. But you know what? From what I read, that didn't stop this guy from going to hell because at one point he turned around and left because he wasn't willing to really make Jesus Lord of his life. He wanted to add Jesus to his life. A lot of people want to add religion, want to add Jesus, whatever that means to their life. Makes them feel good about themselves to go to church. Good people go to church, okay? I believe in God. I'm not an atheist, so I, I want to kind of get with Jesus. What does that mean, get with Jesus? Uh, you know, they, they want to kind of add Jesus. You know, he's, he's not the substance. He's kind of like the salt in the soup, adds a little flavor. Frosting on the cake of life, you know, may, he brings some sweetness, but he's not the substance. And, and as the Bible teaches, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he, he, he's, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You see, as we said last time, last before uh, Easter Sunday, as people are hoping that God's love is going to save them. Well, as we saw last time, God's love can't save us. All it can do, and it's a big thing, all it can do is provide a way by which we can be saved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That's the way right there. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the way, but it's not automatic. It's because Jesus came and died for our sins, rose again, doesn't mean everyone gets saved automatically. The next step is our responsibility that whoever believes, 
in him. Should not perish in hell, but have everlasting life. Guys, again, the New Testament teaches that we are not saved by God's love. We are saved by his grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved uh, through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not the result of our good works, lest any should boast in heaven. God doesn't want boasting in heaven. I deserve to be here. Uh, no, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, all you have to do is reach out and receive a gift. You know? It's not about going to church, lighting candles, praying rosaries, working in the local soup kitchen. I'm not, I'm not putting down helping others. That's not going to get you into heaven. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, okay? I mean, if, if, you, if you have a relationship with him, then go out there and live the, uh, the right kind of life. I'm not saying you should go out and live a bad life just because your good deeds don't save you. Now, guys, when you understand all of this, you realize that Jesus didn't come to help good people be better people. In other, in other words, you know, uh, I can almost make it up to, you know, I'm, I'm climbing the wall. Lord, if you just come and give me a little boost, I'll make it over and I'll be in heaven. doesn't work like that. He, he didn't come to help good people be better people, good enough to get into heaven. He came to save condemned sinners from hell. And guys, this then naturally leads to verse 17, where we pick it up this morning. Verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Let me stop there. Jesus at his first coming didn't come to judge the world and send people to hell. He entered the world, listen, on a search and rescue mission to save condemned sinners. He said himself in Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that are lost. John 12, 47. Jesus said, And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now that's at his first coming. At his first coming. Understand he will judge sinners and cast them into hell someday. He just didn't come the first time to judge. He came the first time to save. When he comes back, he will judge. In fact, you can read Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. It talks about the great white throne judgment where all unbelievers stand before Christ and are sentenced to hell. But right now, again, we're in, still in the day of grace where God is offering eternal life uh, in heaven as a free gift to all who will believe in Jesus and receive him as their Lord and Savior. As we've already studied John 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So back to John 3, though. Let me read verse 17 again. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is, listen, condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, guys. When I talk to people about getting into heaven, those that believe that to get there, they have to be good, and most people uh, believe that they're good enough, okay? Uh, they usually tell me something like this. Well, when I die, I'm going to stand before God and present my case. I'm going to present my case. And I'll tell the Lord all the good things that I did over the course of my life on the earth, 
And I believe I'll be able to persuade him not to condemn me to hell, but to let me into heaven. Here's the misconception with that. You see, they think that when they die and stand before God, that's going to be their day in court. I'll present my case. That's going to be my day in court. Or in other words, that this will be their trial that will take place at that time. And uh, when their guilt or innocence as a person will be determined, a time when God will either pronounce them guilty, condemn them to hell, or acquit them and allow them to enter into heaven. What they don't realize, and we're, we're studying right here in John 3, what they don't realize is that as Jesus stated in John 3.18, they are already condemned. This is a judicial thing. The language is a judicial condemnation. They have been tried. They have been found guilty. The gavel has come down. God has pronounced the human race condemned. In Adam all die. Adam blew it for all of us. Therefore, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve blew it, I'm thinking of Adam primarily. He was the federal head of the, of the human race. When he ate the forbidden fruit, he fell. At that moment, he was condemned by God to spend eternity in hell. And every person born of Adam, which is all of us, every human being who is born into this world is a descendant of Adam, born into a cursed family. All the descendants of Adam are going to hell. The only hope the human race has is to somehow change families. Move from the cursed family of Adam into the blessed family of God. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching us how to do that. Because the family of Adam is condemned. That's why you have to be born twice. That's what confused Nicodemus. He was born once physically. Jesus has done enough. to be born again. What? what? I'm an old man. How can I be born a second time? Well, you were born once physically into this world, but you were born a descendant of Adam condemned. To go to heaven, you have to be born again. What, what do you mean? You have to receive me as your Lord and Savior by faith. When you do that, at that very instant, the Holy Spirit comes in. And you are now born of the Spirit. It's a second birth. It's a spiritual birth. And through that birth, you now, and a lot of people don't realize this, you now move from the cursed family of Adam to the blessed family of God. And as John is going to finish his chapter 3, verse 36, uh, you, you, you know, you, um, all who those who... Uh, believe in the Son, have everlasting life. Those who do not believe, uh, the wrath of God abides on them. Judgment. So what happens when people stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment? That's typically what we think of when we think of judgment day. All right? Well, first of all, believers will not stand before the Lord on that day. Because we have passed from death to life, we shall never come into judgment. Uh, Romans uh, 8 tells us that, John 5, uh, 24 and 5, I think. Uh, there's other places, many other places, okay? When we accept Christ, the Bible says his blood is applied to our account and God marks our ledger. All the things we did against violating his commandments, Jesus writes to telestai, which means paid in full. You can read Colossians 2, all right, verses 13, 14. He took all of our sins, nailed it to his cross, pronounced us judicially not guilty, innocent now, because Jesus paid for all the sins. So we will never stand before the Lord Jesus at 
the judgment seat where people are sent to hell. Those people that die without Christ. Someday they will, they will be resurrected. They will stand before the Lord. Again, Revelation 20, verses 11 to 12, 15. They think it's going to be their day in court. I'm going to plead my case. Surely I can convince the Lord I've been a good person. Surely he'll let me into heaven. What they don't realize is the case has already been determined because perfection is required to get into heaven. Only one perfect man ever lived, Jesus Christ. So how can he get me into heaven? Because the Bible says when you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you are placed in Christ. Therefore, whatever Christ did, now you are the recipient of it. He was perfect, now in God's eyes you're perfect. He was sinless, now in God's eyes you're sinless. He was, it was received back up to the Father when he ascended to uh, the Father after his uh, resurrection. We someday will ascend to the Father because he lives. He said, because I live, you will live also. So what happens to these folks who die without Christ and stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment? That's not their day in court, folks. That's the sentencing phase. You understand how that works in our culture? A person goes through a trial, if they're declared guilty, then they come back at some later date, stand before the judge. It's the sentencing phase. How much time in prison are they going to have to serve? Well, Luke tells us in chapter 12, verses 47 and 8, that depending on what kind of life a person lives, that will determine their degree of punishment and hell. So many people will have a lighter sentence. Many others will have a very severe punishment in hell. It's all eternal, though. It's all eternal. A couple days ago, I was reading a blog by pastor and evangelist Greg Laurie, and I would like to just share some of it with you. He said, and I quote, Conventional wisdom says that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. But here's something that may surprise you. There are going to be some good people, quote-unquote, who will not make it to heaven because no one is good enough to get there on their own. And there are some bad people who will be in heaven because they realize they're bad and they called out to God for forgiveness. Heaven isn't for good people. Listen, heaven is for forgiven people. You must say, God, I'm sorry for my sin and turn from it. Your life can be changed by Jesus Christ. He is alive. He is standing at the door of your life and knocking. And uh, he is saying that if you will hear his voice and open the door of your heart, he will come in. No matter what you have done, don't despair. God will forgive you of any sin you've committed if you will ask him for his forgiveness. End quote. That's how you get into heaven. Not by being good and working hard and going to church and lighting candles. You get into heaven because you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I realize I don't deserve anything from you. But your grace, you're offering me eternal life by grace. It's a gift. All I have to do is believe in your son, receive him as my Lord and Savior. At that moment, God takes me from the cursed family of Adam, places me in the blessed family of God. The wrath of God no longer abides on me. Now the blessings... And I will live for eternity in his kingdom. Back in John 3, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me just straighten out something real quick because there's a lot of folks who say, oh, I believe in Jesus. You know, I, I believe in Jesus. I always have. 
The Bible defines saving faith, the kind of faith that gets you into heaven, is not just mental assent that you understand certain things about Jesus. The Bible says the devil and his demons believe the right things about Jesus Christ. They know who he is. He's the son of God, died for the sins of humanity, uh, rose uh, again from the dead on the third day, and so on. Just because they know all the things about Jesus we know and believe, they're not going to heaven. See, that's a good starting point. You have to know the truth, the gospel. But when you receive the truth, as John said in chapter 1, verse 12, whoever um, receives him, then he gave the right to become the children of God, those that believe in his name. It has to be an active thing, okay? You have to receive Christ uh, into your life to, to, to have him take control of your life. Verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Again, guys, we've talked about this. Light and darkness in the Scripture are often used uh, allegorically. Light is often used in Scripture to represent spiritual truth, holiness, moral purity, and obedience toward God. Darkness is often used in the Bible to represent spiritual error, evil, moral impurity, and rebellion against God. However, even more to the point, guys, the ultimate expression of God's light in this world, of course, was his dear son, Jesus Christ. Turn to John 1. Let's see how John opened his gospel. Just start with verse 4. Of course, John is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Now he's talking about God's light, his truth, shining in a world of lies, deception, a world controlled by the devil. So the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or couldn't extinguish it, some translations say. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This would be John the, uh, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He was the forerunner of Christ. That all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, of course, Jesus Christ, who gives light to every man coming into the world. So Jesus entered a world of spiritual darkness, uh, lies, deception, as the truth of God, the light that would light men's way, uh, of course, men and women, mankind's way back to God. Jesus himself said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In other words, have the truth that leads to eternal life is the idea. Again, John 9, uh, 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. One author said this, and I quote, Why will sinners not come to the light of life? Because they love the darkness. They want to persist in their evil deeds, and this keeps them from coming to the light, from coming to Christ. For the closer the sinner gets to the light, the more his sins are exposed, end quote. Another put it this way, he said, and I quote, Jesus was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He died for the sins of all the world. But men do not love him for this, do they? No, they resent him for the most part. 
They prefer their sins to having Jesus as Savior, and so they reject him. Just as some creeping things scurry away from the light, so wicked men flee from the presence of Christ. Those who love sin hate the light, because the light exposes their sinfulness. When Jesus was here in the world, sinful men were made uncomfortable by his presence, because he revealed their awful condition uh, by his holy life. The best way to reveal, excuse me, the best way to reveal the crookedness of one stick is to place a straight stick beside it. Coming into the world as a perfect man, the Lord Jesus revealed the crookedness of all other men by comparison, end quote. And we'll finish with John 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus said, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. What does that mean? Well, let me just paraphrase, okay? Jesus is saying that once a person receives him into their heart, as he's the light of the world. A person that receives him into their heart are born again. And we all, in this room, every one of us, before we got saved, we may have been religious. I, again, I grew up Roman Catholic, so I went to church a lot. In fact, in Catholic high school, you had to go to Mass every morning before school started, okay? So we did that. And, uh, you know, I had, I had religion. I didn't have a relationship, but I had religion, okay? And as such, because I didn't really have Christ in my heart yet, I had a lot of religion. Um, you know, I didn't really enjoy going to church. I had to, you know. Uh, you know, I just did my duty. And I felt good when you went to church. It was, okay, I did my duty, and that's good, okay? I didn't love church. I didn't love God's word. I didn't read it. I didn't want to live it. Uh, it was not something that I just, I, 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 I didn't love, I loved the darkness basically. You know, I mean, and I wasn't as bad as some, but I wasn't as good as, of course, Christ. Um, there's a lot of folks out there who don't love the light, don't come to church, don't read God's word, because they it's not in them. They, they, they hate the thought. I, I, I know a young lady. Uh, she's not saved. And um, she's, uh, you know, young alcoholic, uh, totally against church, didn't grow up with any church, any religion. And she had to go to a church not long ago for, uh, for um, a baptism um, and all. Not to get too deep into the story. But when she came out, she told those that were with her, that she just shuddered, like, get me out of here. Like she had to, you know, she felt, you know, just, it, it, she had to, you know, and I thought, wow, that's a demonic response to church. That, get me out of here. I, mean, I can't stand this place. That's a person who doesn't have the Lord Jesus inside of them. They hate the light. They love the darkness. She couldn't wait to run to get a drink. Now, I pray for her all the time. And I trust God's going to eventually touch and save her. But right now, she loves the darkness rather than the light. And of course, as Christians, we know that we have totally changed. We love to come to church. We love to read the Bible. We love to go to Bible studies and, and talk about the truth of God, walk in the light, help others to see the truth, witness, and so on. It's a transformation that has taken place all because Jesus Christ is now living inside of us. Let me just end by saying this. This four-part series I've entitled, You Must Be Born Again. In other words, you must be born again to enter into heaven is the idea, right? Heaven, guys, is an exclusive 
place. Only children of God get to live there. It's an exclusive place. You know, in this, these days of tolerance and inclusiveness, it's important to know that God is very intolerant of sin and those who practice it and will exclude them from heaven. But anyone who will repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be instantly forgiven and instantly adopted into the family of God as a dear child. Yes, heaven is an exclusive place. It's only for God's children. That's true. The good news is that God is inviting, and this chapter so highlights this, God is inviting everyone to come to him. He will not exclude it. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will in no way turn away. God is inviting everybody in this world to come to Christ and be saved. In fact, in Revelation, we see the, the throne of uh, people around the throne of God, okay, in heaven. And there are people from every tribe and nation and language and family. God will save people from every family group, every nation uh, on the face of this earth. He is no respecter of persons, the Bible said, which means he loves everybody the same, is inviting everyone to come to be saved. He, he, you come to Christ, he doesn't look at some list and go, well, you're, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. Uh, you know, tough break. No. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I'm not going to turn them away. All are welcome. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, how badly you've lived. God's love and grace can forgive. And his son died for all those sins. So, you know, yeah, heaven is for very exclusive place, only for the children of God. Good news is anyone can be a child of God if you want to be. If you come to Christ, confess your sins and say, Lord, I want you to take control of my life. I want to give it to you. At that moment, you become a child of God, and it's an incredible thing. It's a, it's a real transformation from the inside out. So we will continue, God willing, next time as we uh, continue on working our way through chapter 3. Uh, I'll give you a little thing here. There is one more must statement that we'll look at, okay? It comes later in the chapter, so God be with us, all right? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord, and how it brings light into our lives. It's the truth. And Lord, give us grace to read it to love it, to embrace it, to live it, and to tell others about it. We just thank you, Lord. Father, we ask that you would continue to bless these studies in your word for your glory. And anybody in this room, Lord, who has not made a commitment to you, I'm not saying they haven't grown up in church and I, they haven't made communion, confirmation, uh, they, they've gone through the ceremonies and rituals, I'm not saying that. If anyone in this room has not said to you, Lord Jesus, I believe who you are. And now I ask you to take control of my life. Lord, if they haven't, give them grace to do that before this day is out. Father, we thank you. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.